This morning, I want to talk about the greatest wedding in the history of the world. Who doesn't like a great wedding? As we journey through the book of Revelation in a larger sermon series we've entitled God's Story, Our Story, we've been looking week by week at all of the stories and all of the figures and all of the symbols and types throughout the Word of God. We established two years ago that biblical literacy it is at an all-time low in North America. The reason we don't operate with a biblical worldview is because we don't know how to read our Bibles. We don't know the story of the Bible. And so because we don't know the story of the Bible, it prevents us from digging deep into the Bible and allowing the Bible to shape all of life, to shape how we think about the world and everything in it. And as we near the end of this journey, we're looking at Revelation. And this morning, we're looking at the wedding feast of the Lamb in Revelation 19. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been looking at dragons and beasts and battles, but it all ends in a wedding. Isn't that glorious? It all ends in the greatest wedding ever. The wedding theme is a very important theme, not only in Revelation, but all throughout Scripture. For after all, the church is who? The bride of Christ. All throughout redemptive history, from Genesis to Revelation, God has often referred to his people as his bride. And he set our relationship in the context of a marriage. And so it should come to no surprise that the end of the story, the end of human history, ends with the greatest wedding Ever. So we turn our attention to Revelation 19, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. We believe that when we open Scripture here at Coral Ridge, God is speaking to us. It is literal, it is infallible, and it is inerrant. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Are you seeing the fourfold hallelujah? The hallelujah chorus? Where do you think they got it from? Let us rejoice and exult, give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And an angel said to me, write this down. The angel says to Cole Rich, don't forget this. This is important what I'm about to say. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. 
And then I fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And yes, the grass withers and the flower continues to fade. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Blessed are those who come and are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. The invitation is everything. Getting invited to that party, getting invited to that wedding, getting invited to that dance, getting invited to that big event means everything. To have that invitation means that I have something, that I'm included, that I'm invited, that I'm a part of something big that is about to happen. The invitation means everything. You see, at the end of the story, we often think that we just die and go to heaven, but in fact, it's much greater than that. The story for those that are in Christ ends at a wedding feast for all those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The story of the Christian is a story headed to a wedding of epic proportions. And the question this morning is, not only have you been invited, but have you said yes? What makes this the greatest wedding ever? The first thing I want to point out in this passage is, one, the unfaithfulness of the bride. You will never understand why this wedding is so great until you understand the unfaithfulness of the bride. In the first two verses of chapter 19 that we read, we hear about the destruction and the devastation of the city of man, Babylon. But it's likened to a prostitute. You see, human history is this, that all those by nature that have not placed their faith and trust in Christ are like a person who has been unfaithful. You see, yes, the Bible calls unfaithfulness sin, but it's also put into the context, as I said, of a marriage. And the Bible also calls sin, brace yourselves, adultery. All throughout redemptive history, God has created a people for himself but because of sin, they have rebelled and they have chosen to live life without God and God calls it nothing short of adultery. It is unfaithfulness in the context of a marriage. Even going back to the prophet Hosea, Hosea receives this word from the Lord, you will call me husband and I will betroth you to me forever. I will be faithful to you. And here is the problem. We have a God who has promised to forever be faithful to us. And we have always been the runaway bride. And for some of you here this morning, that is deeply offensive. Because you and I by nature can't handle the reality that we're just that bad. We can call it anything other than what the Bible calls it. But that is exactly what it is adultery and unfaithfulness to the very God who created us. But we will never understand the beauty and the glory and the amazing nature of God's grace in the context of his marriage to us until we understand that while we were yet unfaithful, 
Christ died for us. That is who you are. And until you understand that this is the God who came for me, this is who I am by nature, lost, but now found, an extraordinary love that amazes us to the cure, to the core. And what the gospel does for those that are growing in Christ, it secures you to the point where you are actually free to admit this, that you're actually able to admit, yes, I am that rotten, and I am that unfaithful, and Christ loves me just the same. That is the message of the good news of Christianity, and the gospel secures us and roots us to be secure that, yes, I am the unfaithful bride. But next, we go on in this passage, and we not only see the unfaithfulness of the bride, which is you and me, but we also see that this bride has work to do. Secondly, we see the preparation of this bride. But everybody has jobs, right, in a wedding. The groom has jobs, and the bride has jobs. There is preparation that is needed. What's the groom's preparation? Well, the groom, of course, is Jesus Christ. And in the gospel, we are told that the groom is going to prepare a place for his bride. Where? In his father's house. But while the groom is preparing a place for his bride, what is the bride supposed to do? We read in verse 7 that the bride is preparing, the end of verse 7, and the bride has made herself ready. How does the bride make herself ready? By finding the dress. Say yes to the dress. You need the dress to show up to the wedding. But here's the problem. How does an unfaithful bride wear a white dress? Verse 8. It was granted to her to clothe itself. You see, the only way that the unfaithful bride is able to wear the right dress for the wedding feast is she needs her groom to provide the dress for her. And all throughout redemptive history, throughout the Bible, we read about being clothed in order to stand before the groom. And earlier in Revelation, John called it a robe of righteousness. Not a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness that was secured and purchased by Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. You're too broke to buy the dress. And you need another. You need the groom. You need a perfect groom to step up to the plate and say, I will buy the dress and I will clothe you. It was granted to her. The bride does not clothe herself. You see, that is what separates Christianity from every world religion. Every world religion, I challenge you to study them will tell you that you clothe yourself, you clothe yourself with your righteousness, that you buy the dress, that you buy the appropriate clothing. But Christianity alone says, no way, you can't. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough power in you. The only thing you offer is a dress and robes of unrighteousness. It's the only thing you can provide. It is Jesus, the perfect groom, who comes and prepares his bride. No one is qualified to go to the wedding 
And until we embrace that truth, we will never stand in wonder and amazement of the love of God. As I said, the greatest wedding ever requires a groom to step up to the plate and provide the right clothing. So we see the unfaithfulness of the bride. We see a supernatural preparation of the bride. But last, but most importantly, we see the invitation from the groom. Where is all this heading? We see at the end of the passage in verse 9 and 10, we see an invitation. It's an invitation to a supper. Now you might be looking at that and thinking Sunday night supper. Because there is nothing in our cultural context that can help us understand the Jewish marriage supper. These things lasted for weeks. So dads, if you're fretting about the bill of the reception, consider yourself blessed. We're talking a week to two week reception. The marriage supper of the lamb is also likened to a festival. It is a festival of unbridled joy. That is where we are heading, my friends. We are heading to a party unlike you've ever seen before. But did you catch who gets the, who the invitation comes from? Who sends the invitation in our modern culture? The bride and her family. The problem is the bride has no money. The bride can't afford a wedding like this. A bride certainly has no right to host a party like this. This invitation to this wedding feast comes from the groom. And notice the bride is not at the center of this party. It's all about the groom this day. Even John tries to bow down and worship. And what does the angel say? No, the man of the hour is over there. The lamb who was slain. The man of the hour over there to be worshipped is the lamb. You see, this whole party revolves around the groom. This whole party revolves around Jesus Christ. And that's what makes it a party unlike any other. It is the great wedding feast of the lamb. And the good news for you and me this morning who know Jesus Christ is that no matter how hard and painful it is right now, drinking from the cup of earthly sorrow, for those that are in Christ, you will one day be drinking from the cup of endless joy. That is the promise for all those that know Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus this morning, this is your groom Two quick takeaways for those that are in Christ. If you know Jesus this morning and you've said yes to the invitation, it means that this groom alone in Revelation 19 provides alone satisfying love. There is no earthly spouse. There is no earthly boyfriend or girlfriend. There is no earthly relationship that will provide and satisfy for you what your heart longs for. If you are a teenager here this morning, do not buy the lie that there is something here, this side of heaven, that will satisfy the deep longings of your heart. The problem is for all of us, if we buy the lie that there is an earthly relationship that will satisfy this deep need, you will squeeze the joy out of that relationship. And it just doesn't only have to do with marriage. We can do this with our children. We can do this with our best friends. If you are looking to others for what only Christ can provide, you will squeeze the joy out of those relationships. 
This groom alone, as he's presented to us in Revelation 19, provides the satisfaction that your heart and soul longs for. Second takeaway, not only does this groom alone provide satisfying love, this groom expects you to love the bride. And you say, Pastor, of course, I'm I'm the bride. You just told me Jesus loves me. The only problem is you're the bride, and you're the bride, and you're the bride. We live in a culture that says, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. No, you can't love Jesus and hate the church. You love what Jesus loves with all of its bruises. Well, you say, Pastor, I've been hurt by the church. Join the club. Who hasn't? And the reason people get hurt in the church is because people like you and me belong to it. And we will continue to hurt each other until we get to the heavenly church. But in the meantime, we love one another as the bride of Christ with all of our bumps and brokenness and bruises. The groom expects you to love the bride. You see, there are only two groups of people in the world. There's a group that has accepted this invitation and said yes. But there is another group out there that has said no to this invitation. And I'm willing to say this morning that there are people in this room and watching at home that have never said yes to the invitation to the wedding. And with every part of my being, I am pleading with you this morning to say yes. This invitation is offered to you freely through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You simply have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and the promise is you will be saved and you will have a seat at the great wedding feast of the Lamb. He invites you this morning to come and to say yes, to say yes right now. See, when I do weddings, my favorite part is when that bride walks down the aisle, I do one thing. I just look over at the groom and he is weeping. And the reason I love that image That is how your groom looks at you. This past year, as a church, we lost many people that have been pillars in this church and in this community. Jim and Kay Carlson, Julie Kuhn, Ruth Rahm, Lon Smith, Bob Taylor, Curtis McGriff. And at the end of every funeral, even I have to remind myself, this is just a temporary goodbye. I'll see you at the feast. I'll see you at the table. I'm going to be at the wedding feast one day. I want you to join me. And together with unbridled joy, sit at that table forever. For blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Amen.